Amen. Amen. Jesus said, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Uh, We are talking this morning about a series called, And They Cried to the Lord. Simply, that we as a church are praying, God, help us to have a cry of desperation. And that there are various cries we're looking at in Scripture through Psalms 107. So if you look at Psalms 107, we're going through this journey together for these six weeks, talking about cries of, from desert places, talking about cries from uh, dark places, demonic places, even uh, disaster, places of disaster in our lives. And then we're going to be talking about going through dead places as well. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about dark places. And they cried to the Lord out of dark places. I remember the first time I was behind bars. I was five years old, and I was on a church trip to uh, Mississippi to go to a zoo. And like any five-year-old, you're in this group of people, and you're, you're hanging out, and you're having fun, and my pastor's wife was there, and it was, I don't know, 15, 20 of us, and, and I just remember we were all playing, and then I see this revolving door, and we had just really kind of gotten into the zoo, and I see this revolving door, and so, you know, we're all playing, and so it's one of those doors that kind of go around in circles, you know, you want to go through it, and then you come out the other side, and you kind of can come back through it again. Well, little did I know that this revolving door, it was metal, it, had, you know, it was iron, you know, you could only go one way. And the other side was gated. You know, it kind of went a pass-through of metal bars. And so I'm playing around. I'm waiting on us to go to the zoo. And I go out. And then all of a sudden I come back. Oh, there's a gate there. You can't get back in. And I'm five years old, five, six years old. All of a sudden I realize I am not where I once was, nor am I supposed to be. I am outside of the zoo by myself, away from my group, and there's nothing around. It's the backside of the zoo, and I look behind me. It's just a wooded forest area, and there's this one long sidewalk that goes all the way around to the front, and I start freaking out, right? I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm alone, I'm isolated, and my pastor's wife looks at me, and they have that big surprise on, my, on her face, like, what did you do? right? Because she's got all these kids. She can't go out with me. And so all these kids just look at me and they're like, Heath is outside the gate, right? Uh, And what are we going to do? It's locked. You can't get back in. And they're like, well, maybe go go all the way around the zoo. I'm thinking I'm five years old. I'm not walking around this zoo by myself, going all the way around to the front. I don't know. There's people in the woods. There's something, you know, and it's scary. and, And all of a sudden, finally, after that, you know, it seemed like forever, eternity, right? Probably was only a couple of minutes. One of the kids ran and found the man with the key. Thank the Lord for a man with the key. He comes and he lets me in, and then I learned my lesson, never play around revolving gated doors. But, you know, I, thinking about that, isn't that how life sometimes is? We are going through life, we're happy-go-lucky, we're playing around, and before you know it, you are not where you thought you were. Before you know it, sin has come into our lives and we have been separated from the place we ought to be. And what looked like freedom ended up to be captivity. I was outside the gate. I actually was the free one. But really, I wasn't. Really, it was better off to be with the group under submission of authority with my pastor's wife, with everybody else. But instead, what looked like an illusion of freedom ended up being behind bars. Right? I may know what I'm talking about this morning. Life can be that way. 
that we can lead to, it leads us to places of captivity to be separated. And I think we could all agree we've all been in a prison in some way. I would grow up later in life to learn I wasn't just imprisoned to lust and to pride, but my greatest prison in my life was fear. I was under immense captivity to fear as a young person in my life. I was scared of so many things. Anxiety plagued my heart, plagued my life. Uh, I was nervous about uh, everything. Just being you know, elected to a team or going to the board or being chosen by the teacher or riding the bus or getting to school late. And just failure in general was this kept. I just had this fear of failure. I feared what people thought of me. I feared of being mocked and ridiculed. And that fear prevented me from a lot of things. It prevented me from doing a lot of things I could have done as a young person, succeeding in a lot of areas that I could have succeeded in. It prevented me from having relationships often even being socially excluding myself. It wasn't that I was just excluded by others, but literally socially excluded by, my, uh, by myself. Uh, it uh, almost made me not want to go to college. And, and it, for some of us, it's like, well, that's just crazy. You know, that, you know I, I can't even relate because I'm an outgoing person. Let me tell you, in a prison, everyone might have a different reason for being there. Some may be a murderer, some may be a rapist, some may be a thief, but let me tell you, you're all in prison. I don't care what your deal is. And for a long time, I felt like I couldn't relate to anybody because I've never been, in, I've never been captive to drugs. I've never had, you know, uh, been, been into that scene or maybe how do I relate to people? But there is something we are all been in prison to. And sin, no matter what it is, you're all in prison. We're all imprisoned by those things by, by nature. And we could sit there and argue, well, you're a murderer and your sin's better than my sin. You know what I'm talking about? You, don't, you can't relate to me because you never murdered anybody. You can't relate to me because you never stole. You can't relate to me because you never done drugs. But we are all in prison. And the man with the key is one and the same. Thank God for the man with the key who can unlock all doors. Amen? And so this morning, I want to talk to you about that man with the key. Your, prob- your story may be different. Some of us in this room, you may have been imprisoned by immense pain from a life trauma. Some of you in this room, maybe it was abuse. Some today probably have been imprisoned by depression, some by drug addiction or sexual addiction. Some sometimes are lost, so lost in their identity, they don't even know who they are anymore, and they've been imprisoned by what others say they are. But no matter the crime, the one who has the key is one and the same. What are you captive to today? What are the things that have held you back from the freedom that God has offered you? We could all say, and and let me just say this. Some of us, maybe we're still in the chains of something. Some of us could say, well, Pastor, I am saved. Well, sometimes that door to that prison gets opened, but some of us are still wearing the orange jumpsuit. Your identity is still back in prison. Some of you have been let go of some things, but the handcuffs are still on. The shackles are still there. And yeah, maybe you're not in that place that you once were, but there's some things that remain. You with me this morning? You understand what I'm saying? And some of us are still locked and bound in a place that you don't have a clue what the hope and the joy and the peace and the love of Jesus Christ really feels like. 
It's like in prison, you can only dream of a McDonald's hamburger. Like, you don't care about it now, but when you get there and you can't have it, you're going to want it, right? And it's only a dream. It's just a glimpse. It's, I, I can't even remember what steak tastes like. I can't even remember what those things once were like. And some of us today can't remember what true love and peace and joy and just the presence of God just feels like again in my life because you are out there wandering around having fun on your own, but one day you woke up and you are not where you wanted to be any longer. I want to talk to you about coming out of dark places The word desperation means to be in an impossible situation without hope. It means to realize my situation is hopeless. And that day when I was outside that zoo, my situation was hopeless. There was nothing a little five-year-old could do to get back to where he wanted to be. And today, if you are dwelling in a desperate place, you need only to cry out to God who has the key. Amen? Look in Psalms 107, verse 10. Psalms 107, verse 10 through 16. We got it on the screen there for you. Psalms 107, verse 10. Uh, talking about dark places, and I'm going to read it, New American Center. It says, There were those who dwelt, everybody say dwelt, dwelt in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery in chains, because they'd rebelled against the word of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, He humbled their heart with labor. They stumbled, and there was none to help. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness into the sh- out of the shadow of death and broke. Everybody say broke. Oh, come on, we can say it bigger than that. Say broke. Broke their bands apart. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness and for His wonders to the Son of Men. For He has shattered the gates of bronze and cut the barns of iron asunder. I love that word. Most of us don't know what it means. It means to be broken into pieces or separated or, or completely demolished, right? Asunder. He, he broke the bars of iron asunder. That just sounds more awesome, right? Asunder. And uh, what is happening here? What is happening here? This is a, sto- this is a brief story of, of you and me and of Israel. It says that they were dwelling in darkness. You know, nobody wakes up one day and says, hey, I want to be a drug addict today. Nobody wakes up one day and says, man, I want to go through a messy divorce today. Nobody wakes up one day and says, you know what? I really don't want to be myself today. I want to be what other people say that I am. Nobody wakes up and says, I want to have a bad day today, right? Unless we need to talk later, okay? But, but nobody just wakes up and says, this is what I want to be when I grow up. No one says I want to be a prostitute when I'm a kid in, in, in school, right? There's just times that life happens, and Israel was this way. They had an identity in God, but one day the world around them kept getting darker and darker and darker. The Bible says that generations grew up that did not know the Lord. And then uh, Joseph had died and they were in Egypt and there were pharaohs that came that did not know who Joseph was or who the people of Israel was. And apparently Israel never told anybody else who they were or who God was. And one day the world around them had gotten so dark that they themselves had forgotten who they were. I think the church today in America has forgotten who we are. That the world, the nation, the communities around us, we've gotten so used to drug addiction. We've gotten so used to blah church going. We've gotten so used to religion. We've forgotten who we really are. We can't even see it anymore. The, The world around us is so captive, it's become normal. It's become normal to have teenage suicide. It's become normal to have 50% of divorce in the church and in the world. It's just become normal. That's how we've been raised. That's all we see, and it's normal. But let me tell you something. That's not normal, not for the kingdom of God. 
It's not normal for the people of light who have hope in, in God, who have the power of the Almighty behind them. And so they were dwelling in darkness. And that word dwelling means to abode. It means to have a home there. In a sense, darkness had become their home. Home. You know, serving self will lead to serving sin, and serving sin will lead to serving Satan. They had gotten so used to home being in the dark that every time God would free them, they would turn right back around and go back to darkness. It was like it was more normal to be in the dark. And for some people coming to church is that way. I'll come to church for a while. I'll experience a little bit of light. But you know, just being unhappy is home to me. Being depressed maybe is home to me. Being unhappy with my life is maybe home to me. Or maybe I find more comfort in that addiction than in God. I find more comfort around those other people who aren't happy than with people who are happy. And it makes no sense. And, and some people in the light would be like, what are you doing? You ever talk to somebody? And you're like, what are you doing? Why aren't you living? You know the truth and the truth sets you free. But why do you keep going back? Because they've not let go of home. They have become comfortable in the dark. And sometimes it's this way. This group of Israel, they were attracted more to the ways of the world than to the ways of God. Darkness was home, and they had once been this place of dwelling of God, and God had told Moses, he said, hey, Moses, I want to dwell among you. I want to put my tabernacle, my dwelling place, in the midst of Israel. And Jesus would tell us later that God isn't going to just dwell in temples anymore, that He's going to dwell in His people, that people will be the dwelling. And from the very beginning of time, just with Adam and Eve, God has always wanted to dwell among His people. He always wants to be with His people and in His people. And that's His purpose. That's, that's your purpose. And that's what He's saying here. He says, they were dwelling in darkness, but they were so used to darkness, they had no hope for the light. They had no revelation of what could be. Pastor Christian and I were talking about this the other day. That sometimes in our worship, in our worship services, that we've come from such religious traditions, we've come from such baggage and, and such places of oppression that we don't even know what it is to worship God anymore. We, we can't even comprehend of being in an environment where the Spirit just lets loose and we feel the passion and the power and the presence of God fill a place because we've never seen it done. We've only known religion. We've only known this other thing. We've never seen it. Let me tell you, I'm one of the last, I think I'm one of the last generations that I can look back and say, man, when my parents had church years ago in the late 80s and early 90s, man, we had church. We had the presence of God far more people being healed and set free and just exuberant in their praise for God. And I know that happens some places, but so many now coming out of places, our young people coming out of places, they've never seen a move of God. They've never seen a healing. They've never seen a miracle. They've never seen God do great things because we've been numb to the darkness around us. Ephesians 5.14 says, Awake, sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So darkness has become numb, and they're coming to a place. So this is a dwelling place. Their home is in darkness. It says, then they were in the shadow of death. This is that place where you walk darkly and alone. Like I was outside that, that, that zoo that day. I was alone without any hope or no, no anything. And the Bible says that death is that separation from God. The result of sin is death. And it's not just 
physical death, but it's eternal death and eternal separation from God. And the darkness of uh, the shadow of death is that there is a shadow. Man, when you're close to somebody and their shadow's on you, you're probably pretty close. It means that where I'm at, there is no hope. If I continue in this place, this will result in eternal separation from God. It could be in a drug house somewhere and knowing and, and you're taking that one puff or that one joint or that one injection and you know that if I died right now, it would be eternal separation from God. It could be online looking at images and you know that your heart's not right and this is not what you want for your life. But if I was to go and the God was to come and His trumpet would sound, would I make it right now? Because you're living so close to eternal separation from God, yet you're blindly unaware of it. They were so close to be getting cut off, and it was lonely, and it was despairing, but they couldn't break it. They'd never seen anything else, and this had become so normal, and this is a place of fear, of fear. Death is fearful for those who don't have the light of God, but the Bible says the Spirit of God results in life and peace. What results in living in the darkness and near the shadow of death is captivity. It says they were bound. They were bound in chains. They were prisoners in misery and in chains. You know what it's like to really be unhappy with your life? Have you ever felt just unhappy before? How many people have ever felt unhappy before? Oh, good. We're all human except for a few of us. Okay, so the non-robots in the room. Okay, we're, we, we know what it's like just to feel blah. And, and this is the best Christians of us at all. Sometimes you just wake up you just feel... Ugh, can I just start over today? Can I just go back? And, and they're, they're in this place of misery and chains. They realize they're isolated. They're alone in the dark. Nothing but evil thoughts own them. It could be things like this. Man, what's going to happen tomorrow? When will this feeling ever end? Who can save me from this torment? I've talked to Students over the years, you know, about 12 years of ministry now, and I worked a lot with teenagers and college students early on, and I remember talking to one student who was a great kid and great, great, actually a great man of God, and he told me how much he used to cut himself on his legs and his inner thigh where no one could see it. And every night he would take that razor blade and just begin to cut himself. And this is a kid who was in my church and in my ministry and poured into him. I got lunch with him. He loved the Lord. But for years, his dad had spoken all kinds of stuff over him, told him he was gay, told him he was no good. He left his mom, separated, felt unworth, unloved from his father. And he said, he said, Heath, the only thing I can tell you is that as I began cutting myself, it was like all this emotional pain that I had found a release. It's darkness. It didn't make any sense. I'm thinking, well, come talk to me. Come pray. Let's go for God. But it was just the physicalness. Man, when I, he said, when I saw the blood come out, it just felt like those feelings left me for a moment, but then they would come back again. There are people among us living in the numbness, in the fear, in the darkness, in the captivity, away from the light. Some of them are in the room today. Some of you today know what it feels like just to be totally unhappy, fearful, in misery, and in chains, yet know there is a God. Yet know there is a cross, yet be in a room and know how to worship. But yet on the inside, in the secret, we can say, it's miserable where I am at. I'm actually separated. I'm not where I want to be. And they were in captivity. All the evil thoughts began and going, and then they begin to think, who can save me from this torment? And it says that they were in forced labor. He humbled their heart with labor. You know, sin is not a good master. 
He will take you to places you never wanted to go. He'll take you places you never thought you would be. How did I end up here? I remember another student I ministered to as a young adult pastor. He became to come a part of our ministry, and he, he told me, he said, hey, can I, be a, can I come to your church? And I said, well, yeah, of course you can come to church. He said, no, 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 I've got to tell you my story. I don't know if I can come to your church or not. He said, when I was on the university campus, he said, I, uh, I had a problem with pornography. And as I began to get into it, man, it just took over me. And he raised in church. He said, I began to get into it, into it, into it. And he said, I stopped going to class. I just began to look there and look at images all day. And he said, you get on these programs, they begin to download all these images. And I said, before I knew it, there was like 10,000 images on my computer. And he said, one day, I got a knock on the door. And he said, it was the FBI. And he said, they came into my dorm room, they arrested me in front of my friends, called my parents, everything. He said, come to find out in all these images that had been downloading onto my computer, he said there was child pornography. And he told me, he said, I wasn't into that. I didn't know it was there, but it was just in all this stuff. He said, I was so lost. I was in darkness. And then he, here's this young man in his early 20s waking up one day to find out, I have been labeled now. I've lost my degree. I've lost my reputation. Now I've lost my freedom in my life. All because sin took me somewhere I never wanted to go. Sin is that way. It's not a good master. He puts forced labor on you. And they found in this place, they stumbled, they had no helper. You see, there's no one who can break those secret thoughts and desires. You can't break them, I can't break them. There's no one who can change your heart. There's no one who can undo the pain and the hurt of the past. There's no one who can give you permanent joy and fulfillment because there is no comfort of God. And he said they had no comfort here. God does not comfort us in our sin, but what He does do is He offers us the key. He offers us through a man named Jesus Christ, the one who came to deliver, to set the captives free, to proclaim the favor of the Lord, to take people who dwelt in the darkness, and He says the Gentiles would hope because they would see the light. Jesus, that's the good news. There is a man who holds the key. Jesus says, I came to proclaim the release of the captives. How? Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that he went down in that place. When he died on the cross, he went down and led a host of captives, captives and gave gifts to men, meaning that he came down, took the keys of hell and death, won victory over Satan through the grave and through the cross of his blood, resurrected on the third day, gained the glory of God, gave the gift of the Holy Spirit to his church. So now you and I can identify with him in Colossians chapter 1 that we have been transferred from the dominion of darkness, translated, transferred to the kingdom of what? Of light and his beloved son that you and I don't have to be captive anymore somebody say amen you don't have to live that way anymore. we don't have to live in misery and chains and gloom near the shadow of death because there is someone to help you now there's someone who can set you free i love that ending it says that he shattered the gates you could read this in a different way it's saying he shattered the gates of hell he has broken the chains of sin and he has cut the bars of death asunder is that good news Man, that's good news. It's so good. I'm going to give you three cries, though, that have to be had for you to get to this place in your life. If you've got a pen, you get these. Because there has to be a cry of the captive. It says this, 
Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them. In Judges chapter 10, there's this one specific moment I want you to get where Israel had been repeatedly backsliding from the Lord. They became slaves of the Philistines. They were afflicted, the Bible says, and crushed for 18 years. They were beaten in distress. In Judges 10, verse 10, it says this, Then the sons of Israel cried out, just like here, cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you, for indeed we have forsaken our God and served the Baals. But God said, he said, but wait, wait, wait. What about the times I've delivered you before? What about the times you cried out before, but then you forsook me again? And God says this, he says, you know what? I will no longer deliver you. Go and cry out to the gods you've chosen. Let them deliver you in your distress. You're like, wait a minute, I thought Jesus was nice. I thought Jesus would hear me. Lord, help me, save me, keep me. What's he saying here? Go back. Go back to where you love. Go back to where you really want to be. You ever felt like God said that to you? You're not worthy. You're not good enough. You felt like that's the message you heard. Why is that sometimes? Yet Israel said this. He says, we have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. And it says this, so they put away foreign gods, serve the Lord, and then God could bear their misery no longer. Sometimes it's not the simple sinner's prayer, raise my hand, pray I lay me down to sleep, I pray my soul to keep, that's going to keep you out of that abode of darkness. Sometimes it's a cry of desperation, a true cry of repentance where Israel gets to the place and they say, God, this is not just a logical thing. God, this is not just an emotional thing. God, I'm so tired of being where I am. And Lord, I admit where I am. I'm separated. I'm undone. I'm unhealthy. I'm here. And that's the first cry. You see, what God would say to them is like, do you really, really want help? Or do you want Him? Do you want me? Do you want help? Or do you want Him? Because sometimes we just want the feelings to go away. Sometimes we just want the bank account to be right. Sometimes we just want a little bit of peace in our life. Sometimes we just want things to go better. But what we really need is not just some things. We need Him. The cry of desperation first starts off at a cry of repentance and says, God, I am right here. I am a sinner. I am captive to these things. I admit my faults for you because Jesus came, repeat, uh, uh, Jesus came preaching repentance and remission of sin. Repentance is simply this. It's a turning from self and then a turning to God. It's not just stop doing things and stop being a drug addict, and stop being a drunk, and stop being depressed, because if you don't fill it with Him, you've got nothing. You can't just stop doing things. You've got to replace it with a pursuit of Him. And sometimes in our churches, we can just come down and say, yes, I'm sorry for my sin. Well, that's not going to get you saved. Not alone. That's the first cry. The first cry is a cry that says, God, I am here. I admit who I am without you. I admit that I am numb to the darkness around me. I admit that I am a sinner separated from God. And I admit these things. 
Man, but when you cry out, Psalms 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Repentance is more than an emotional cry. It is the weeping of a soul. It is more than an emotional cry. It is the weeping of a soul to say, God, my fix is not in my money. My fix is not in my relationship. My fix is not in my social status. My fix is not even in my addiction issue. My fix is that, God, I am not where you are. God, I am not where you are. So the first cry we must have is an I am here cry, a cry of repentance. Number two is this. It's a cry of faith. It says, Lord, I'm here, but I want to be there. I see the journey ahead of me. God, I see where I am, and I see where you are, and I see there's this dash, this gap in between. And faith says, this is a place I want to go. I believe there's something beyond where I am and where you are, God, and there's a journey there. But here's the deal. I can't get there on my own. Uh, There's no way for me to get from here to there. God, I'm in prison. I'm in chains. I'm in darkness, and I don't have the key. Faith says, but God, I trust that you do. I trust that you have a way to get me out of the position I'm in. And God, I can't do anything to get there. But what did Israel do? Look at that passage in Judges 10. It says, God says, why don't you just stay where you are? Do you really want help? Do you really, really want help? And they said, God, do with us whatever you want. I don't care anymore about stuff. I don't care anymore about things. God, I'm just desperate for a change in my life. And he says, let me see it. Let me see how desperate you really are. And it says they put away foreign things. You see, sometimes the journey of faith is things like this. And it's not even the, it's not the whole process. You know, this is just the journey. This isn't the moment of salvation for them. The moment of salvation is when God's presence returns. But he wanted to see something in their life. It's things like, God, I'm going to stop going to those places. God, I'm going to cut the friends off. See, that's not going to save you. But that's the process of faith. That's the process of getting you to where you want to be. It doesn't, the, the, the going to church and reading my Bible and praying every day, that doesn't save me in itself, but it is the process of showing God, God, I believe your way is better than my way. This is the process of getting to you. It's not you. Reading my Bible is not you. Going to church is not you. Going to sanctuary and giving and participating is not you. But it both shows God, I believe that you are there. I believe there's this process of getting to you that you can see, God, I'm serious about leaving the darkness. I'm serious about leaving the chains. It's the cry of faith that says, God, your way is better. You know what happens sometimes, though? Sometimes we get people who will come to church and they'll be over here in the captivity and they'll say, yes, God, I I want more of you and I I want things to be better in my life, so I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to start praying I'm going to start reading my Bible. And I think that's it. They think that that is the moment where God's moving and working in their life. No, that's just the process of getting to Him. Getting away from those friends. Getting away from those thoughts. Putting away negativity. Putting away uh, forgiving others and moving on from those past hurts and habits and hang-ups. That's the process of faith. Saying, God, I believe your way is better. But what James 4 says is that we should submit to God, resist the devil... 
then we begin to push those things away. He begins to flee from us. But then I begin to draw near. I'm reaching through those gated doors. I'm putting my hands out the barred windows and saying, God, you are over there. I'm beckoning you. Come. I can only go this far. God, reading my Bible has only got me this far. Praying has only got me this far. Going to church has gotten me this far. But I know this is not really where you are. Those are things, God. But I'm desperate for more. How many people say I'm desperate for more than just going to church? I'm desperate than just going through a one-year Bible plan. I'm more desperate than just giving the 10% of my tithes. That's not God. But it is faith to say God is, God's way is better than the world's way, right? But as we begin to cry out and say, God, he says, purify your hearts. Don't be double-minded. Be miserable. Mourn. Weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. He says, humble yourself in the presence of God. Then what? Then he comes, right? Then he will exalt you. And as you begin the process of crying out in faith, it's the reaching. God, I can... I can't do it all, but God, I can reach this far. I can put away this stuff, and God, I can begin to reach through the bars and cry out, put my hand out. You know, a person, if you're in jail, and it's the thing about those old jails with the bars, and some guy's walking by with the key, and he's unlocking other people, are you going to sit back at the back of the jail? Lord, I'm desperate for you. Would you come unlock the door? Maybe, please. Would you, Austin? Maybe, okay, you walk by today. Maybe next time I'll, I'll be ready. No, 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 no. If somebody is unlocking all the jail cells in the prison, you know where my hand's going to be? It's going to be here at the edge. I'm going to be clinging on the bars. I'm going to be putting my hand out. I'm going to be desperate for God to free me too. And that's the people who get saved. That's the people who God begins to use. And it's the cry that says the third cry. It's the cry of obedience that says, God, I need you to take me. God, I can't take myself. It's an unconditional surrender. It's when I stop bargaining with God to save me on my own terms, but says, God, I'm helpless to do any good on my own. I can't save myself. I'm a sinner, and without you, I'm nothing. It says, God, I need your spirit, and God, when I get out of this, man, I'm going to live your way. God, I'm going to go all in with you. God, I'm not just going to be satisfied to go through the religious scene. God, I want all of you. And as the Holy Spirit comes in your life, you begin to live in obedience, not through religious tradition and legalism. You live in obedience because the Holy Spirit has made you a new creation. He's made you alive with Christ. Romans says he takes you and makes you from dead to alive. And all old things pass away and all new things come. He puts a new mind and a new self in you. If you will live and surrender to God you'll live free. You see, outside of that zoo, I was really in prison. But inside, with my peeps, with the people I was supposed to be, following the leadership of that pastor's wife, under submission of her authority, I was more free in the zoo than outside on my own. Some of you have bought the lie that being on your own and outside is freedom. But man, you're alone. You're captive to things to take advantage of you. You don't even know what freedom is. But when I'm a slave of righteousness, man, I'm more free than I've ever been. Amen? Worship team, would you come? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father God, I've done the best of my ability. Holy Spirit, I give you this next moment. Lord, that you'd speak to lives in this place. Father, right now, I'm going to ask just the saints in this room just to begin to pray. 
Maybe you're here and you're captive to some areas of your life. Maybe here you're numb to the darkness. It's been so normal for you. It's been so normal for you to be in a dark place. Maybe today you've got other people you want to intercede for. Maybe you're, God's freed you, but right now you just begin to intercede for somebody either in this room or in this community. You know, God, there are many people bound in chains. And I'm just going to ask the saints of God, just begin interceding. Would you do that? Saints of God, just begin interceding for people who are bound either in this room or in this community. Maybe it's your family. But right now, where are you? Where are you? Are you living in the fullness that Christ has purchased for you? Are you living with everything He died for? Are you living in the fullness of joy, of peace, of patience, of goodness and love, gentleness and self-control? Are you living in the fullness, everything He died for? Is it yours? Some of you today have been in a dark place for some time. And God is waiting for you to get desperate. He's waiting you for you to come out from the chains that you're in, begin to bang on that door, begin to put your hand through the wall, and would say, God, I cry out to you. I'm not going to stop crying until you unlock the doors. God, I want not just my situation fixed. God, I want you. You are the destination. You are the source of life. You, Lord, are the answer to my prayer. God, I am desperate for you. Is that your cry? Are you desperate for Jesus? He's desperate for you. He sent His Son to die for you. He loves you so much with everlasting love. He sent His Son to die on a cross to take your sin, to take your penalty, to nail the written code against you on a cross to make a spectacle of the enemy who put you there to declare that you are His to take you from darkness and transfer you into the kingdom of light. God paid the price for your goodness, for your peace, for your love, for your kindness, for your self-control. He paid the price for your freedom. He wants you to have it. It's bought. It's paid for. He's got the key. Do you want it? Are you desperate? Are you desperate? Not for religion, but for relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the number one. Right now, if that's you, I just encourage you to pray right now. Just begin to seek the Lord. You don't even know how to pray. You just cry out and say, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Lord, save me. Lord, help me. You don't know what to say. You just begin to say, God, save me. God, help me. God, you know what my hurt is. You know what my habit is. God, save me. Number two is this. Maybe you're here today and say, Christian, you've been let out of the, you've been let out of the building. You've been let out of the, the prison gates have been broken. But there's still chains. You still wear the orange jumpsuit. You still got the chains around your ankles. You're not free to completely run. You're not free to leave behind the labels and the identities. And you say, God, I know I'm free. I know I'm saved. But I'm tired of restrictions. I'm tired of these besetting sins that easily entangle me, that, that my mouth, maybe it's my, my language issue. Maybe I want to get that out. Maybe it's a, a habit that you know that isn't glorifying God and He wants you to let it go. It's not saying you're not saved. He's saying, I've paid the price for more freedom in your life than this. I want you to live free. I want you to put away the old identities you've had. I want you to have nothing holding you back. And you say, I know right now, God is talking to me right now. There are things or attitudes behaviors or habits in your life if you would just get desperate for God and don't care what anybody in this room thinks because I'm going to tell you something 90% of the people myself included in this room can tell you something right now off the top of their head I wish that wasn't in my life I'd be a better Christian if I didn't do that don't we? Amen let's get desperate cry out to God
Lord Jesus, you know every person in this room. God, you know where we are. Father, it's up to us right now to begin to cry out to you. I'm going to invite every person in this room to stand. Every person in all this room, let's just stand. You just begin right where you are to begin seeking and crying out to God. I'm going to open the altars. I'm going to ask our elders to come to the front, our prayer team, to be available. And you say, Pastor Heath, that's me. I'm in one of those categories, and I'm desperate for God to break this. Or maybe today you're saying, I know there's someone in my family, someone in my family, I am desperate that God would open their eyes to see where they are, that they would be released from the captivity they're in. And I want you to begin interceding for them. All across this room, there's many chairs in this room that can be filled for the glory of God. People who are bound in chains.